Swinet. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. This single diet concept suggesting that rather than saying have five phases from uh, 20 kilogram to 110 kilogram, you can actually save costs without affecting performance by just using one diet that might be formulated for a pig at 70, 75 kilogram, but fed all the way from 25 to 120. Swine It podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative sponsors like Elanco's Prevacent, a new PERS Spective. Visit prevacentprrs.us to learn more. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just all, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcel Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about Zinpro. Since 1971, Zinpro Corporation has focused on one thing, trace mineral nutrition. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zinpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to zinpro.com. Hello, everyone. Today, we have Dr. Roger Campbell from Australia, and uh, we're going to chat about the evolution of the Australian pork industry and the research that is coming out of there and that is also f- of uh, global interest. Dr. Campbell, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you going? Doing good. Ah, can't complain, can't complain. How is life in Australia? Oh, it's pretty good. You know, the, the prices have turned around a lot, so all the producers are happy, and uh, I think they've learned where, you know, the threshold for, uh, for, for production is under the current circumstances. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, but oh, there's, good, a lot of, there's a lot of money being made at the moment, so, uh, but you had two, two tough years like everyone else has, yeah. People are happier. Yeah, much happier. Nice. Well, good deal. Appreciate uh, the time. And uh, the the first question, Roger, I always uh, like to ask is, you know, if you can just walk us through your long career, uh, you're, you're a bit of a legend in the industry. So uh, very happy for that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've been in the industry a long time and that's why... You know, I've seen it change a lot, but it's been evolutionary, not revolutionary. So we'll discuss that later. But I started off uh, when I finished uh, at a technical college in year 12 and knew I couldn't be an engineer. Uh, Where all, all my friends from that time are engineers now. So I ended up going to an agricultural college in a mm-hmm. town called Horsham in uh, country Victoria. Did three years there, a year in uh, beef research, working with Larry Cora from KSU, and uh, then went to Melbourne University or University of Melbourne, did a degree uh, in ag science and started work 
in research in 1973 with the Victorian Department of Agriculture in Werribee in Victoria. Worked there for like uh, 15 years, had the most exciting year of my life during that period is when I worked for 12 months with the US Department of Agriculture in Beltsville, uh, just out of DC. Uh, with a, wow. Yeah, it was amazing. It was, uh, uh, I was with, uh, that boss was uh, uh, Dr. Norm Steele, but it, uh, just a great team. But at that time was when porcine growth hormone was first ever available. They were developing transgenic pigs, you know, transgenic for human growth hormone, bovine growth hormone. It was when uh, sex semen, uh, sexing semen was happening uh, at the same laboratory. Pretty much changed uh, older my career uh, totally or enhanced it a lot. It was an amazing year, un unlimited funds. So after that, I come back, I moved up to Bungie Meat Industries, the biggest pork producer in Australia. Was, uh, head of their technical division, stayed there 11 years, then went to uh, the USA working with um, a guy called Gary Ringer out of Gridley, Illinois. I lived in Bloomington, Illinois, and also working with United Feeds in Indiana for six years. In 2005, I came back to Australia, I was offered the role as CEO of the Pork CRC, and really spent the last uh, uh, 13 years, Marcio, in that role and, uh, you know, mm. was, a, again, another tremendous uh, job. I've never had a bad job, so it's been a great career. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. And, uh, and you've done how many studies over that period of time? Uh, I think with the Pork CRC, they're probably individual projects uh, over 300. But in, yeah. when it first started, it, it reinvigorated research in Australia. It filled a big capability gap. So it started in 2005. The first one was all about efficiency and uh, costs. It finished in 2011. The second one was all about, you know, uh, welfare, eating quality, and it finished in uh, June 2019. So tremendous contribution for relatively small amount of money to the Australian pork industry. Yes, I remember when I went there a couple of years ago and uh, I got very impressed with the, the amount of research and the quality for the size of the industry. That was, it's, uh, that was amazing. Yeah, no, they've, put a, they've put a lot of money into research and, uh, you know, it's, it's again, if you look at the evolution of the industry, a lot of that research prior to the pork CRC and after it is now just part of uh, commercial production. So that's the greatest thing. Plus all the young people that were trained during that period, a heck of a lot of them are now working in you know, commercial production, either in a research role or a management role. So it really did change the industry and hopefully it'll take it forward uh, in, you know, in a very positive way. Should. Very nice. Um... Yeah, um, and then more recently, you are um, you opened your own consultancy company. Is that right? Yeah, I did that. Uh, it's about a year, maybe a year and a half ago now, Marcio. Yes, so and that's really been uh, advising uh, individual, uh, you know, uh, production people working with uh, a group in Canada and on a couple of uh, boards. Some are you know commercial production company boards, and others are boards that are more involved straight technical side of the business so it's been going quite right. well yeah. keeping me busy Very anyway nice. 
<laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, uh, that's great. Well, so if you can uh, walk us through the evolution of the Australian pork industry, Roger, that would be great. Okay, so so just uh, to put it in context, I'll give you some sort of milestone dates in a moment, but I started in the industry in research in 1973, and at that time there were 40,000 producers and... Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, 430,000 sows, the highest number of sows ever mm. in Australia. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're producing a, you know, just under 200,000 tonne of pork, about 3.2 million pigs a year. Mm -hmm. And the reason there were so many sows in that point was that the government had uh, put quotas on wheat production. So they couldn't deliver their wheat, you know, the crop growers couldn't deliver wheat to uh, the uh the desk who handled all the grain so they you know started putting it through pigs and until that point it really was a sideline business sideline to dairy sideline to crops and it changed at about that time 1970 yeah 1972 1973 but now if you have a look so we had then you know 400,000 sales we now have 280,000 sales we're producing three point Two million pigs. We're now producing 5.3 million pigs, and going from 200,000 tonne of pork to 400,000 tonne of pork. So, so that has been the evolution. If you divide it by the years, though, the greatest change has been the loss of producers because we're going from 40,000 to 900. Wow. Yeah, in that time. So. So that's been, you know, the evolution's been like that. And the producers who are left, you know, own more and more of the sows and more and more production. And as you're aware, there are two producers, that's River Lee and uh, Sun Pork Farms, who produce about 36, 38% of Australia's pork for those two companies. Right. And there's probably 60 or so producers who produce 80, maybe 90% of the pork. So that's how it, it's, it's evolved. Mm -hmm. uh, the sort of critical milestone dates, one was 1965 when intensification of the Australian industry began with a, uh, a business established in Bendigo in Victoria. In 71, that had 2,000 sales. So I think Australia was ahead of the USA even in going to big herd sizes and integration and USA has followed a, uh, a similar pattern to that. So that's uh, how it, uh, it changed. We saw productivity continue to increase. The next real milestone was probably 1990 when uh, the federal government allowed imports of frozen pork from Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and so frozen pork started to come in then. And so it went from zero in 1990 to about 180, 190,000 tonne today. Okay. So it changed, it changed the industry. It took out a lot of the use of Australian pigs for ham and bacon manufacture. Mm. Yeah, so our, our industry used to be driven by the summer Christmas period, a bit like yours, when there was a big demand for hams. And so we'd see price go up and then it'd fall down back in you know, February, March the following year. Now, mm. Australia's pretty much reliant on the fresh meat market. Australian producers, 
And that price or that cyclical nature in the industry of prices, uh, it's pretty much disappeared. And so, oh, wow. yeah, and they've shown you can certainly uh, make a very good money out of just supplying uh, fresh meat to the Australian population. You know, now our consumption of pork, you know, per capita is about 27 kilograms, so higher than the USA. But the difference is a lot of it's uh, imported. So we produce, USDA lists Australia as in the top 10 exporters and importers of pork. And so we've got 400,000 production and 600,000 tonne consumption. And so there's a big mm -hmm. import gap there, Marcia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so, well, over the evolution of that time, the other, I think, critical step was the uh, commencement of the pork CRC in 2005 because it, well, it revitalised research and has changed the industry since then. And then the next milestone, most recent one, was 2010, 2000 to 2015, which was the move from, you know, sow stalls for pregnant sows to group housing. And that was a revolution. And it's it took about six years to complete, but now, you know, 85, 86% of the sows in Australia are grouped at weaning or five days after they're weaning. So, and that made a big difference to price and demand as well. So what we're seeing is, you know, small unit holders becoming bigger and bigger. Like, you know, there's less than 900 producers now. And what I've noticed is just continual, and it is gradual, but continual improvement in productivity and uh, uh, efficiency. A lot of that's good management, and the rest is... Uh, introduction of uh, new technologies which you know just become part of what we do after a while so that's how the industry's changed from a sideline business to very specialized business and a lot of innovation by especially the bigger companies uh if you look at the products that you know they're fully integrated feed mills genetics uh processing and then uh, value-added products. So they have, you know, retail-ready products, both River Lee, uh, Sunpork and others. So, and and the development and progress in those, Marcia, has just been amazing over the last five years. Yeah, a lot of credit to those, to those companies. They're doing it on their own and uh, been very successful. Very nice. And I think I remember you saying that a big part of the Park CRC was also training a lot of very good people to the industry. Is that right? Yeah, a lot of yeah. We've uh, both Park CRCs trained a lot of people, and I think over the the second CRC, I think there's 24 uh, postgraduates that were trained by the Park CRC, or you know, in companies by the Park CRC, and are now employed in the industry. So it was quite amazing, really. Yeah. And, you know, the Pulp CRC introduced uh, innovations such as the industry placement program where a company would apply for a, a postgraduate or a graduate and the Pulp CRC would cover so much of the first two years employment, provided they employed him for a minimum of three years. And I'd say 90% of people who've taken that up have stayed with the companies or probably more importantly, moved on to other companies. So, yeah, so it made a big difference. Interesting. Um, what, what uh, if you can comment on the genetic, uh, you know, I, I don't know when um, 
uh, Australia stopped uh, importing uh, genetics. Was if you can comment on that? Yeah. So I, I remember when I was at uh, Riverlea. So I started Bungie. That so I started there in 1988, and sometime between there and 95, we had imported. Everyone had imported genetics in that preceding years, the few years preceding that, a lot of Durox, a lot of large white, different land uh, land rays come in. And I think it must have stopped in the mid, I mean, early to mid 90s, Marcio, you know, they, they, they put a ban on importing uh, uh, pigs or semen. So it was that long ago, you know, it was a long time ago since we've had importing genetics. But if you look at the progress that, uh, and we see it through benchmarking projects, the progress in reproduction, uh, feed efficiency, it's still been tremendous. And even if you look at you know progress in the US, if you look at over 10 years, it's tremendous. And you divide it by 10, it seems slow, but it's cumulative. Yeah, so so we, we continue to see improvements in uh, productivity. So I think uh, there was a lot of concern about, you know, uh, lack of competitiveness in genetics. But of course, with diseases like PERS and ASF around, it's, it's, it's a balancing act. And I think we're making good enough progress to uh, be, and the best producers here are very good. You know, they, they're winning 26, 27 pigs per sale per year and uh, a very good business people. And uh, we're gonna see more of that happen as the industry continues to contract and the better and better will be owning and running in the industries that goes forward. So. Interesting. And uh, can you comment uh, shortly on, on, on the whole uh, ASF? Uh, you know, <laughs> you guys are very close to the whole uh, situation. If you have uh, some comments on that, on recent movements there in the industry. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, everyone's watched the progress of ASF in Australia. Uh, quite uh, uh, closely, and then now you know the latest uh, confirmation was in Timor, which is about 750 kilometres from northern Australia. So what we've seen, what I've seen, because I haven't been directly involved in, is just a lot of activity, and uh, by the federal government, the federal government taking it very seriously. So you know, there's a lot more uh, uh, border controls at airports, uh, but. Australian Pork Limited, which is the policy body for Australian uh, pork industry, have done a great job in putting uh, teams together, uh, preparedness, and uh, everyone's following things like, you know, what we're seeing come out of America on uh, uh, practice runs at it. So it's top of mind for everyone. And I think the people who are going to be responsible for uh, doing whatever they can to ensure it doesn't enter Australia are doing a very good job, I see at the moment, Marcia. It's very, uh, they're very active and very proactive. So, uh, so everyone's mining of interest. I know individual producers are, you know, have extremely, have, um, markedly enhanced their biosecurity and looking at where gaps exist in it at the moment. So a lot of activity uh, and a, a lot of uh, concern. Interesting. No, that makes sense. Um, where do you see the Australian pork industry going in the next 10 years, Roger? Uh, well, if it's, we know from uh, past experience that uh, 
there is a yeah there's a sort of a a, a set supply demand point at which uh prices begin to collapse and we saw it in 2007 17 uh prices collapsed over pretty much over a month from three dollars eighty a kilogram down to 240 220 a kilogram you couldn't sell a pig for a while wow so where's the opportunity in uh, the next 10 years well there are two opportunities one is in export markets we already export about 10% of our production, so even our production sounds small, but we have a small population. And I think uh, that can and will grow. We still don't have an agreement with uh, China for export of pork to China. In the next 10 years, I imagine that will be achieved. We're seeing continued productivity. Australia is very different from a lot of the rest of the world in terms of uh, extreme, extremely high welfare. Welfare is always on top of mind. Uh, disease status at the moment is excellent. But the other big market uh, is to replace those imports. You know, that's equivalent to about 2.3 million pigs. So the potential for growth is to go from 5 million to 7 to potentially 8 million. So over the next 10 years, depending on... Uh, depending on how they can uh, manage their costs and develop relationships uh, with uh, manufacturers, this industry has tremendous potential, you know, to grow in size by 20, 30%, and I'm talking sustainably. So they're the two big opportunities. It's one is replacing uh, imports, and the other is increasing exports and and increasing uh, domestic demand. So. So it, it can be very profitable. And what I'm seeing in 10 years is, again, a further contraction. So it, you'll now think you'll see what you might call smaller operations, two or 3,000 sales, will take opportunities when they turn to actually grow by procurement. You know, they'll buy other businesses. The big businesses will continue to develop, develop their own products. They're very innovative. And so in 10 years, I see a bigger industry, a uh, heck of a lot more efficient than is now. We have 280,000 sows now to produce, uh, you know, 5 million pigs or 400,000 tonne of uh, pork, probably get down to 210,000 for that amount or 280, you know, to grow the grow uh, production and uh, the business by, uh, I think, 20, 30%. And that's, uh, so I see a vibrant business in 10 years, uh, much more, even more productive than it is now, but with different market opportunities than uh, we're currently limited, really fresh pork at the moment. So I think we'll be doing more manufacturing, more export, and and uh, it should be very successful. And there may be dips and, uh, you know, dips and highs in that uh, period, but the future looks pretty good right. for this industry. That's great. That's... That's very exciting. Um, as we change gears a little bit, uh, Roger, um, and transition to, into the research side of things, yeah. what do you see as the top three recent research outcomes that would be of global interest? Okay, so I think the first one at the moment, Marcio, is, uh, is what's been called, you can call it what you want, but this single diet concept, we seem to revisit this every six or seven years, but 
there's increasing evidence, uh, and I've seen it from Australia. There's a, a recent project just finished with April, the company who replaced Pork CRC, suggesting that rather than saying have five phases from uh, 20 kilogram to 110 kilogram, you can actually save costs without affecting performance by just using one diet that might be formulated for a pig at 70, 75 kilogram, but fed all the way from 25 to 120. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very yeah, convincing evidence. And even if you look back through the literature, it mostly is a compensation response to a protein restriction at some point in life. But the real message I see from that at the moment is that you may you need to make sure your finisher diets are adequate and paid less attention to the diets for the younger pigs. So that's a message that's coming out of all this research. Right, that's that's very cool. I remember seeing that, I think, uh, at least three studies, right, recently on that? Yeah, there's been uh, there's uh, one that's going to be presented at APSA in November this year from uh, Karen Moore which in uh, from Western Australia. Now, I haven't seen any details about that. Saw a summary. And, that, and what it was saying is that they... They reduced feed costs without changing performance at all mm-hmm. by, you know, 12 to 15 percent. Wow, that's hard to believe, but let's wait and see the paper. Right. But the right. potential there, you know, if you think logistically and cost-wise, is, is massive. That's a big, that's, right. that's the one that's got my most interest at the moment. It has global implications. So right. probably November, December, we're going to know a lot more about that. But I've been following the literature on it, and uh, it sort of makes sense, yeah. Actually makes sense. So let's wait and see. But it would be a game changer. Yeah. I mean, it for sure says that we don't need, <laughs> we don't need six to eight diets, right, in the finishing, uh, right? And, uh, and the other thing is, uh, you know, one diet, uh, is one thing, right, in Australia, but maybe yeah. other countries, I know US has done some recent studies on that as well, and because the pigger is so much heavier, yes, so maybe, much heavier. You know, yeah. maybe two diets uh, or three, but we, we definitely no, don't need uh, six to eight diets, it sounds like, right? Yeah, yeah, I think you're dead right, it's, it, it depends on the weight, I think if you only take 100, 110 kilogram, you get away with maybe one diet, maybe, but for the others, you may not need, you know, the first four diets. You may use one diet there and, and a partly deficient diet because the pigs will, everything's looking like the pigs will catch up, you know, once they're 90 kilogram any rate going to 130. So, yep. Right. So that just simple, would simplify the whole, you know, uh, feed manufacturing delivery process, which, you know, in big systems is, is a real pain. It's very hard to get right. Yeah. Right, feed meal managers will be happy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, so keep an eye on that one. The other one is uh, this uh, guanaolinic acetic acid, GAA, which is a precursor to creatinine. In the research I've seen, include in diets at about a kilogram a ton and very uh, significant improvements in uh finish a pig feed efficiency. A more recent report just come out of the Netherlands this year uh, at a Wageningen 
showing uh, improvements in uh, survivability and uh, uh, a number of animals born in if it's uh, in through gestation and poultry research very recent poultry research and pork research showing that it it has a big effect it produces uh, ATP in uh, muscle uh, creatinine uh, on Hmm. Uh, energy uh, status or homeostatus in the muscle and uh, reporting quite large effects on meat quality. So I think it's Interesting. I think it's something that we've overlooked. It's not it's not new, but I don't think it's been investigated uh, thoroughly enough. And I think it has a I think it could have a big role in uh, in finisher. Uh, nutrition and uh, in eating quality interesting I'll, ch I'll check that out not not yeah yeah it's very interesting we want to follow or have a look at it marcio yeah there's more interest in it and uh a lot of research in uh, 2018 2019 all showing pretty positive effects and my third one would be and again this is a, a back to the future in some respect because i remember working with rob musa on this when i was at bungie uh but is L-carnitine in these, uh, you know, more prolific uh, uh, sows? L-carnitine in uh, gestation? Uh, again, I think it's, what, 100, 125 parts per million. Recent evidence showing uh, effects on, you know, uh, birth weight and piglet survival, which has, you know, become a, a bit of an issue, uh, is, you know, getting pigs... Uh, uh, more pigs to survive and do better in uh, lactation. And uh, there's enough evidence coming out there now saying that L-carnitine is worth uh, revisiting in uh, probably a, right through gestation and maybe uh, lactation. So they're my three hot topics at the moment. Interesting. Yeah, the carnitine, yeah, that right around that, uh, what is that, early 90s maybe? Yeah, it's been early nineties, and Rob uh, was working with us in uh, Bungie on it. But remember, litter size back then was about nine and a half. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So the pigs were born yeah. pretty big, anyway. Yeah. So now it's right. fifteen. It was, yeah. Yeah. The the effect <laughs> on birth weight was 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 actually from the additives was actually one of those that uh, were very very interesting, right? Yeah, very, very interesting. I remember all the activity at the time, but it's just interesting that you then see like three publications in a row uh, showing positive effects. Now, they're always, you know, if, but if you're saying, what am I going to try commercially or as a researcher, those three areas I've covered are those where I'd be investing some time at the moment. Depends on what your constraints are, and they were different with businesses and uh countries but yeah they're 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 my three top picks at the moment very interesting very good um so with that um anything else before we move to the three questions we ask every guest uh i think only one other thing in in that time i've been in the the industry in research is we've i've seen the shift in you know uh research power you know who's dominated the research arena so back in the 70s when i started right through the end of the 80s i think was or maybe mid 80s it was really the british you know that they were loaded with smart people and 
most of Australian research and influence was from British nutritionists, British reproductionists. I think in the uh, late 80s to the maybe the mid-90s, uh, Australia actually became one of the top researchers, maybe the top certainly in nutrition in the world. And since then, and since the end of the 90s, it's very much been, I think, the USA. So you've seen this shift in uh, influence in uh, research over that time. And it's gone in the UK, Australia, a bit of Europe, but now I think uh, very much uh, US-based. So, so quite interesting. And very so interesting. once we never looked at, to the US for technical innovation, and when I first went there in a uh, worked 86, 87, there really wasn't much happening except that the highest level of research, technological stuff, you know, gene manipulation and that, but nothing at the, nothing at really the commercial practical level. Now it's all at that level. So been a, just an amazing uh, shift over time. That's interesting. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that uh, probably played a big role on that uh, was the addition of these large commercial commercial farms, right? Research farms. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, you know, I think you're right. So the first yes. large commercial research farm in Australia was established when I was at Bungie. Interesting. Yeah, wow. that's when it first started. So uh, we established that and it, it's grown since then. Sun Pork have their own now. But you're right, in America, it was really the revolution of the American industry was two or three site production. Right. So it went from a somewhat of a backyard industry to, you know, globally uh, uh, progressive because uh, they allowed, they, they expanded sourbirds. It started contracting, you know, just it just changed the American industry. It was moved to three site production. And then, like you're saying, every, all of the big herds over there now have their own research facility. So you can actually get uh, large numbers. You may do a small trial at Illinois and then go and validate it at Mashoffs. You know, that's that's how much it's changed, yeah. Right, and I think that that would be an interesting one for, for some of the other countries. Um, you know, I don't see as much of that in, in many other countries. I know Canada's got, got uh, several, um, Europe, I'm not extremely in contact with Europe, but I know in South America, there's, you, you cannot, it's less than, than a couple, you know? And yeah. so that, I think that's a, that'll be a good one for, for some of the other industries um, uh, catch up to, to have very, very applied decisions there. Yeah, and they can do that. That's right. So they can validate stuff that comes out of the universities. But when visiting uh, the bigger producer in the US, uh, they do a lot of internal trials, you know, addressing the issues they can see on a, you know, on a day-to-day or an annual basis. So it allows you to get an answer quite quickly, yeah, which you can't get if you're just waiting around. And that's why you know, people like or organisations like KSU, uh, the uh, Pork CRC and that, have that responsibility, you know, to get that information out to producers who don't have those facilities. And if it's, a, if it's actually right. generated from commercial facilities, I think its uptake is uh, even quicker. So that has been a big change is uh, development and use of commercial facilities, there would be no research in Australia if we didn't have those commercial facilities. Very nice. 
Very good. Celebrating its 25th anniversary, Gestal manufactures the original wireless standalone swine feeding system designed by pork producers for pork producers. They are simple, reliable, and provide peace of mind 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Gestal is not just manufactured by an equipment company, but by a family pork production business with a slat level understanding. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. It is time to our famous three. So as we move to the three questions that we ask every guest, Roger, every episode, yeah. the first one is, what's your favorite swine-related book? Okay, so my favorite swine-related book, and it's, it's actually not a swine-related book, but it's, it's a book on mammalian protein metabolism by, uh, uh, by a guy, Munro. It was published a long time ago. Uh, but it, mainly with research with rats. But a lot of the stuff we're discovering, you know, in the last 10 years was already covered in that, in those, there was a series of three books come out. So that was the one I've most always relied on, uh, go to. And the other one is, the one I use almost every day is uh, uh, Nutrient Requirements of Swine by the NRC in 2012, so. Okay. Yeah. That's very interesting. Oh, no, I use that, that all the time. Book, yeah. and I have every every book ever published on nutrient requirements of pigs. So, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> it not cool. only gives you the, uh, the estimates of requirement, which, you know, may or may not be solid, but it gives you all the background information. Yeah. Right. So up to that date, it's probably the most up-to-date, uh, you know, uh, reference you can go to. So that's what I use... Uh, Almost every day. NRC 2012. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Very nice. Yeah, that one. It's an important one to have, right? Yeah, you, you got to have it. Have. That's right. <laughs> Very good. And uh, what about in general, Roger? Besides pigs, uh, what would be your favorite uh, book? Okay, I think the favorite books out of two, and it's. Uh, it's either the Double Helix, which is the book about, you know, from Watson and Crick about the discovery of the structure of DNA. Uh -huh. Just uh, uh -huh. enthralling reading on, you know, personal interactions and uh, competition uh, to discover uh, the structure of DNA. Yeah, so it's well worth a read. It's not a long book, but it gives you a feel for how these scientists worked and the conflicts that existed, you know, within the different organizations at the time. Interesting. Uh, and they got you know Nobel Prize for it as well. So and the other the other book that uh, is along similar lines is uh, Brighter Than a Thousand Suns about the development of the atomic uh, bomb in in the U.S. Well, really a fusion, but it led to the development of atomic bomb. Again, it's just the personal interactions and conflict, you know, and ethics that was going on at the point, plus the develop you know the development of that bomb. So just Tremendous reading. You won't put them down. Interesting. Yeah, I heard about the double helix, but uh, I don't think I heard about that one. That's that's interesting. Very good. Um, and the last question, Roger, is in your opinion, what separates successful swine professionals from those that are not? 
Oh, I, I think there's probably a, there's lots of things and there's lots of good uh, swine professionals. But I think the thing that helps create success is is the more knowledge you have of the biology and and the business. So what how your research or research you read and see fits in to the business of pork production to affect outcomes. Right. You know and and not doing anything in isolation. That's what I've always found. Uh, greatest thing is I know that this is what happens and this is the implications you, you know you shouldn't really be doing that because biologically it's not going to work even though you think it might the second one would be uh, uh, second one would be you know certainly uh, having a, a, a good network so if you don't know anything you know who to contact and my third one uh, third one would be on uh, your willing or people's willingness to challenge the status quo. Because hmm. without doing that, nothing really changes. Right. And so you have to use, you know, the way you think to say, well, why the heck are we doing that? Right. Why, yeah, you know, must be a better way of doing that. And that's what leads to innovation and uh, uh, good research, you know, well-directed research. So, yeah. Makes total sense, yeah. People have those sort of three traits or strengths will usually be successful yeah interesting yeah challenge the book right just uh just yeah because... challenge the book i mean we've seen the books on nutrition rewritten right because someone challenged it that's right and that happened back in the 80s you know it was a whole new concept of energy protein you know, and nutrition yeah right. but it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't challenged and and there's you know that's people are always doing that but often you can just get bogged down into making sure you keep uh the engine to you know actually seeing uh could you make it run a bit better yeah makes sense and and i think the single diet concept that you talked about is a good illustration right of that challenging the status quo right well, there it's a good illustration and i know in the re previous research in australia on it that uh, it's it, it scared or worried most nutritionists, yeah, and it was never really uh, tested on a large scale, but I think we might see it tested on a large scale in the near future. Very nice. Very good, Roger. Really, really insightful as always. Um, always, always enjoy uh, chatting with you and uh, really appreciate your time today. No, it's a pleasure, Marcio. So I wish you all the best and uh, uh, look forward to catching up with you in not too distant future.